welcome to the Trapola Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, investor, DJ. I'd like to welcome Mick Batiske to the podcast. Welcome, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. You got really close with the name. You got really close. It's Batiske, but you got it within like 85% accuracy. And that on a sliding scale is like 100 for my last name. So very good. You know what's funny? This was top of mind for me earlier. And I actually went to go look up. I was like, how does he say his name? And I saw some old video you had done. And I saw, okay, even after I said it, I was like, close enough. That's why I just DJ under the word Mick. Because like my DJ name used to be back in the day. It was, I don't use the word DJ in front of it anymore, but it was DJ Mick Boogie, which was awesome. And it served me very well until about 2004. 13, 14, 15-ish. And then I just had to like edit it. But all these cool DJs were using their real names. And my last name was just like, I was fucked, man. Like I didn't have like a French last name or some really sophisticated sounding name. So I just had, thankfully, my first name was a pretty uncommon first name. And I was able to just live off of that. Because if my first name was John, I would have had to use something else past my name. So yeah, no, because nobody could say my last name. Well, Boogie worked for a little bit, man. Yeah, it worked a long time. It worked for like 15 years. It worked from like my freshman year of college all the way until really till my kid was born. And uh, then I just, those type of names were great great if you're an icon. So if you're a Jazzy Jeff or you're a DJ Premier or you're a Kid Capri or you're, you know, if you're like a legend, you can have a name that's more nicknamey, right? And it lasts the test of time. But for me, like for where I was going with my career, it was starting to, you know, hinder me and hamper what I was trying to do. So I had to kind of clean up because I was on a panel once with like where nobody knew me as a DJ. And I was on a panel with a bunch of entrepreneurs and like CEO types and venture dudes. It was, I don't remember what the panel was. I remember it was in Brooklyn and Dumbo. And I remember sitting on the stage and again, nobody knew who I really was as a DJ. So I didn't have like a cachet of somebody saying, Oh yeah. That, and we have funk master flex sitting here, which would also still be funny on that panel, but people would know who the fuck he is. They were just like, they got through all these names of all these people. And then they said, and DJ Mick boogie and everybody just laughed. Rightfully so, because if you don't have context of me as a DJ and what I did and you hear that name, it's not like, you know, if you're not a household name, people are going to kind of like laugh at it. And so I was like, whoa, for where I'm trying to go, what I'm trying to do, this is not going to really serve me very well. But one day I'm going to do it. Like, you know, they said, like when Jay-Z brought the hyphen back, like I want to do like a, a Mick Boogie party in like 2025, just playing all like 90 shit and just like bring that back. Right. Because I think I heard you talk about this once where even though you changed it at that point, there were still people that knew and respected Mick Boogie and kind of missed Mick Boogie for a minute. Yeah, yeah, it still happens. And now my, it's funny, the closest I get to it now is like my son will like hear somebody say it like on something and he, he'll laugh and he just thinks it's a funny word. Like he's watching like a cartoon and he just thinks it's like, so like sometimes he says that to me, but it, that's kind of fun. But yeah, but then I was like, Dan, did I have a name? Did I have a name that's appropriate for a five-year-old my entire career? Like what happened here? Like I said, Mick Boogie brought you a lot of places. You quickly were able to rise up the ranks. You as a DJ were big in terms of being able to do sets for big NBA stars, big hip hop stars, and in the future, big investors and folks in tech as well. What was it like rising through the ranks and how were you able to do that? Because I'm sure a lot of people are curious, how does the person that is starting DJing as a hobby get to the levels of DJing that you were able to? You know what, dude? It's a couple of things. One, 
it's like the good person rule. Don't be a fucking dick. Try to be a good person. I like to think I've never offended anybody in my life. That's not true. I'm sure I have, and I'm sure I've pissed people off and I'm sure I've unintentionally been a dick at some point in my life. We're human, but like never intentionally have I walked out the house with that as a motive. I know a shit ton of people who do that all the time who are just assholes. Right. And they go very, very far. But, you know, those are the people I have to like mute on Instagram because I just don't want to see their lies and their tomfoolery. Right. But I got I can't really unfollow them because like I still need to find a way to get that check someday. I can't live the lie with them either. But, you know, yeah. So it's be good. Be a nice person. I strongly believe that that gets you very, very, very far in life. Maybe not on the timeline that you thought you'd be on, but I think it gets you much further in the long run. Secondly, it's be good at what you do. Like you can't suck at what you do. Nowadays you could suck a little bit more at what you do than you had to back in the day, but like you still have to have a relative level of proficiency at it. And thirdly, I'm a really big believer that there's there's two trains of thought that people say, well you could just be the best in the world at what you do and you'll win. I mean I do believe that for certain people. For me, I was like, I'm just gonna be really good at what I do at a bunch of things rather than be the best at what I do at like one thing or two things. Cause I was like, I learned that in college. Like I could moonlight as a DJ and create this whole career for myself and settle for bees, which is like for some people, bees would be very aspirational for me. I was lucky like bees came to me very naturally or I could work really, really hard and get the A's, but then I wouldn't be able to do any of the other stuff at night, which taught me a lot more about creativity, business, entrepreneurial ability, the real world than anything I learned in the classroom. So as that's kind of been my mindset for my whole career, which is just like, you know, be good plus at everything. Get a B plus, settle for that B plus and get a bunch of B pluses all over the board. And then you can go much further. And that's kind of how I was able to kind of like put together my career. I never had like that home run moment. I never had that one person lifting me up and putting me on a, on a pedestal or that one big check or that one big anything. I didn't have that, but I had a bunch of little, it's like, I'm not a big baseball fan, but what's like that analogy, like a bunch of like, you can still get the home run if you just keep getting the little bullshit yeah, all, like, all the base around the base. Yeah. That's me. I'm not going to ever like hit it out the park ever. It's not going to, if it was going to, I'm about to be 43, bro. If it was going to happen, like I would have hit it out the park. It's not going to happen, but I'm happy to continuously have base hits. A lot of people think that those bass hits have been pretty strong, though, because if we go back, you had DJed in Cleveland, you're DJing with LeBron, and when him and Jay-Z were hosting some of those early parties as well, was that the first like aha moment or moment that you were like, okay, there's something here? Yeah, it was. So I got the Cavs gig. This is so long ago now. I, I talk about this still a lot, but I, it was the first big thing that happened to me in my career because I was in grad school at the time and I was in the process of trying to be convinced to stop DJing by my grad school professors, believe it or not, because they thought it was a crock of shit and that I should just go sell insurance for progressive or whatever. Shout out to like progressive, but you know, was that flow? Is flow progressive? Is yeah, that flow is from progressive. I could have been flow, bro. I could have been flow, <laughs> but it worked out. It worked out a different way. I remember literally using like my grad school PowerPoint app that I had probably pirated for free from like, you know, when you go to college, they give you like all like the Microsoft office suite for free or the student discount. And I used that PowerPoint to make a presentation for the Cavs to like be their in-house DJ. But, you know, it was definitely, you know, some clip art and bullshit in there. And, but I was like, I'm like, let me approach this with my brain. And it worked. And I got the gig and, you know, from that moment, and the money sucked. It was like $200 for like, it was just, it didn't matter. I would have paid them money to do it. Cause it was like, we didn't have that much going on in Cleveland where I grew up. And so it was a very much 
angel on top of a Christmas tree kind of moment. Like you can't really get much higher than that. And so from that, I was able to leverage relationship with the players and some of the um, brands and the people coming in town. And whenever anything came in town, I was already doing all the parties. So like, you know, everybody came to the parties and it enabled me to build enough of a reputation that alongside with the mixtape era was popping at that time like drama and clue and everybody. And I was like, never at all on that level. I was like, if they were the A's, I was B's maybe C plus, but like it was enough to make some money and it was enough to get my name out, but I never achieved like fame or lots of money from it, but it was enough that people had a little bit of familiarity and that coupled with the other thing, I was able to put that together and be like, Oh yeah, maybe you heard this or maybe you heard that. Or like, and then when people would leave town, they would leave with the mixtape. And they would remember me from seeing me in a position of authority, quote unquote. And that's what I used to move to New York. I moved to New York in 2008 and I was able to leverage all of that together and move. Yeah, that's the hustle. I mean, even just thinking about you putting that PowerPoint slide together, if you do find it, by the way, love to go post a link and put in the show notes or something. I feel like that'd be great to look back on. But yeah, those are the things that make sense. And I think you talked a little bit about this earlier, but how you saw your career in DJing really being the real world application of the things that you were learning in business. But in a lot of ways, you probably learned even more because you're actually doing the work. And that's how you're able to end up getting on some of those panels. And, you know, in many ways, pivoting to more of the work you've been doing now, where it's not just the parties and not just the entertainment related things, it's the things related to business and marketing and tech. I distinctively remember, not to go back in time too much, but I remember sitting in Cleveland talking to somebody who wanted to hire me for a party. And I was just finishing grad school at the time. So this was probably like 05. They had just started at the time, which was like a website company in Cleveland. They brought me down for a meeting. This is when I first realized what I wanted with my life, with my brain was like, I thought we were talking about hiring me to do some like cool marketing stuff or really it's like some next level kind of shit. And they wanted me to do like their lunch party. And of course, sure, I'll do it. Like I was happy to do it. I probably got like a hundred dollars, but like whatever. And, but I remember walking out of there mad and I was like, damn, these people are not seeing me the same way I see me. And so like, yeah, I think that almost gave me like a chip on my shoulder. My, my whole career, actually, to make sure people saw both sides of my brain all the time. I think it's easy to get pigeonholed if you don't necessarily do that. And I think maybe these things seem a little easier now because I know that there's so many multi-hyphenates and people being able to brand themselves. But when you were first doing these things, I don't think that business thought of in the same type of way, and especially people working in entertainment. That just wasn't something you heard of nearly as much as you do now. And I'm very much a fortunate benefactor of that changing in entertainment too, with like artists getting more power and musicians getting more business credibility. And then, then we went through that whole phase where everybody who was like a top 10 artist in the world became like the creative director of like compact or like all these companies that I don't even know if they're still around anymore, but all of that led to more credibility being given to artists in general. It reminds me of that clip from one of those Kanye interviews where he was interview, he was talking with Zane Lowe and then he was like, everybody's a creative director right now. Like Lady Gaga, she's a creative director at Kodak. You know, I like some of her songs, but what the fuck does she know about cameras? And it was really funny and no disrespect to Lady Gaga, but that was that whole wave that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's coming back now. People are going to be called chief brand officers and not creative directors, but you know, I should famously plug, I'm actually actively looking for a chief brand officer role to any of your audience out there. So like while we're, while we're talking about titles where people don't do anything, uh, I will actually do something properly too, but yeah. But I think now 
it's a much more practical role for an artist to have than maybe it was 15 years ago, because how much creative directing could somebody really do as an artist back then without the ability to get the message out the way we can do it now, right? They could sit in on the meetings and they could talk about design. And maybe that's very helpful if you're a once in a lifetime person, like a Kanye maybe, or something like that. But for everybody else who's doing it, like, I don't really know what it did, but now there's just so many more ways you can impact brand as an artist, whether it's through media, whether it's through content creation, content creation didn't exist. We made music, actors made films. If you're lucky, you did both. Like that was content creation. There wasn't actually content creation. There wasn't influencer shit. There wasn't sponsored media. None of this shit existed. I mean, there wasn't in terms of like commercials, but like TV commercials, but you don't need the artist to do that. You need an agency to do that. So nowadays, I think it makes a lot more sense for artists to align with the right brands. And I think you've seen that with how you've managed things too, right? Because like you said, you had started to do a bit more of that shift yourself. Was there a pretty intentional point or a shift when you said, no, I want to do more of this work. I don't necessarily want to do more of that work. I don't know. That's a great question, dude. I don't know if it was one moment that caused that. I think that it's just in general, how the career evolved and how, the world evolved. Like when I moved here was right when social media started becoming a definitive moment of our lives, right? I moved to New York in 2008. So, you know, we're looking at 09, 2010, 2011 is like the birth of the Twitter era, the birth of the Instagram era. And that's right when people started to care a lot more about how you look and how you live in addition to how you sound and what you do. So I was able to kind of like leverage that in terms of creating those other sort of like brand opportunities. And then on the flip side of that, like I've always managed my own career. So I was used to being the person trying to like go out and create those relationships and create these ideas and bring them to people and then execute on them. And, you know, maybe I fuck up once in a while, but like I can go to bed at night knowing that the stuff that happened came from my hard work and came from my brain. And, you know, it felt pretty good. I could live with it at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't know that it was one moment, though. I think it was me seeing that I had more to offer the world and I wanted to make sure the world knew that. And the other thing that goes very much on a parallel path with that, I talk about my son a lot. Like he's like my reason for living in every possible way. And when I knew that I was going to have a kid, he was born in 2015. So like probably 2013, I realized that was about to start happening in 2014. Somehow he was, it did happen and he was born. And, uh, you know, I started really thinking about like, how do I future proof for his life, not just his life economically, which is important, right? That's a whole other can of worms I can't get into, but like I provide for him pretty much hundred percent like economically. So there was that, like I had to figure that out. Like I had to figure out how do I over provide in that regard, but it was also a matter of how do I also provide from a time perspective because my life was very busy and it still is, well, I mean, it's been slower this year, but like, it's a very busy life and by any, any metric. And I wanted to find a way to make sure that like I had a little bit more time to be the father that I wanted to be for my son. So it made me just start to take a wider lens approach to what I think my life should be and my business should be and my offerings as the product should be to the world. Also from a longevity standpoint too, whether it's for my own career or for my ability to be a provider or however you want to like slice it. Like I don't want to DJ when I'm 72 years old, you know, I mean, I do, but I want to be in a coffee shop playing like Tribe Called Quest records. Like I don't want to be like going nuts. And so I wanted to make sure that what I'm building gives me the skill sets and the relationships and the tools and the tentacles and all of that to just grow relative to where I'm at in my life. 
That makes a lot of sense because if we think about the type of gigs that you're doing and the type of gigs that I think that whether it's most DJs or people with your skills that we're doing, the deals are much more transactional. You're getting cash for this. You're getting some type of thing that you walk away from. And that can be great. And I think a lot of people can make a good money doing that, but it's not necessarily something that you can like build a platform on or have something that like grows and extends beyond itself. And I think with so much of the work that you've been doing since, whether it's investments or brand deals or working directly with companies, there's much more upside to be able to capture that you didn't necessarily have as much when you were solely doing some of the stuff you're doing a decade plus ago. But now being able to see that shift, that's how you can set things up. So when you are 72, it's the stuff you want to do. And if you're DJing, it's purely from a personal enjoyment perspective and it's not a necessity for cash. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Sometimes it's funny when normally I'm on the other side of the microphone doing these because we have our show, The Mix Show. But when I'm this side, it's sometimes you forget you actually have done a couple cool things and you know, like there isn't that, you know, on my side, my days and daily, like how the fuck do I put this puzzle together in this imploding world that we're living in right now? And then when I get to be on the other side of the mic and get to talk to somebody like you, who's the genius at what you do, by the way, like the newsletters and everything, how you curate these worlds that we all live in is fascinating. And it's one of the best things I, I read every week. So to hear you say that it impacts me because it makes me feel like we all have bad days, you know, on some days I'm just like the world's rosy. And some days I'm like, what the fuck is going on here. I'm not doing anything right. And so I appreciate the zoom out you just gave me because it enables me to see like, yeah, you know what? I was able to do some things and and I'm able to like stuff works out when you do it that way. So, you know, thank you for noticing that. What are some of those like big projects or deals that you've worked on past few years? What I try to do now outside of DJing, it's kind of like a multifaceted approach, but I've been pretty active, not so much in the last year, but like in the previous years in the angel investing space, which is something that I've always had. Uh, my dad was a very failed entrepreneur and my grandpa was a very successful entrepreneur. And we didn't call either of them entrepreneurs. We called them small business owners. And my dad's business just failed, failed, failed. And my grandpa's business did really well to the point that he was living in Ohio and Florida, had like nice cars and boats. And my parents were just like, you know, my mom was working at like Rite Aid and, you know, KFC. And like, it was a very polar thing. What that did was show me how you can win and lose in entrepreneurship. And it drew me to the hustle. And I distinctively watching my dad in kindergarten, like run his, he had a flooring business. And I remember sitting there watching him run it and playing with my toys in his showroom. And I also remember in second grade going to my grandpa's drugstore and sweep. He always, my grandpa built my whole work ethic. I was sweeping the floors. He made me jump in the garbage just to smush down the garbage so they could get more garbage in the dumpster. And of course I should add that our drugstore was on the same block as my middle school. So the only time I ever jumped in a dumpster was exactly when those kids seemed to be fucking walking by. It was never like at a time when like nobody was out. It was only when all the cool kids and all the hot girls, the hot like middle school girls were like walking down the street and my grandpa would be like, yeah, you need to go jump in that dumpster. And I'm like, bro, can't we wait till like five o'clock? Like, no. And it t- <laughs> this wouldn't go down in the social media world. Right. But I, it taught me so much about hustle because he had me working from fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade on. And so I saw in both sides of my upbringing, both the success and the failure of hustle. I saw that in the startup scene. I also saw where my relationships from DJing and entertainment can help for all those years. And like the people I know and the things that I've been able to like connect the dots for, whether it's for my career or back in the day when I used to do a lot of mixtapes, it would be like using those same skill sets to help artists. 
And some artists really benefited from my help. Some artists, I was lucky enough for them to call me to be a part of their project. And I was part of like, thing I did Big Sean's second mixtape. I did Little Brother's second mixtape. Like groups like that, they didn't need me. I did a Dilla mixtape with Buster Rhymes. He didn't need me. I came up with the idea, but he didn't need me to do that. Those projects would have been fine. But there were a lot of other artists that I helped with my stuff. And so I was like, oh, kind of good at this like marketing game plan kind of shit. And then I was like, that's my degree. And I have this hustle DNA. So how can I do this outside of my career? So I did two things. I started investing in startups and you trying to use that same skill set to help them. And I also started thinking about my career as that of a startup or as that of an entrepreneurial venture. And I started thinking about, and this is when the rebrand happened too. So I started thinking about Mick as a brand, as a product, as a, dare I say the word widget. I hate that fucking word so much. I wish that word would have died in COVID, a widget. But I started thinking about my career as that. And I am now the CEO and the CMO and the COO and all these other fucking titles of my own shit, right? And when I started thinking of myself, I happen to also be the product as well. So when I started thinking of myself as slightly ahead of the product. I was more as a guy on the front lines figuring out how to get the product. I just happened to be the product at night too, from you know 5 p.m. till 9 a.m. I'm the product, but 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm the C-suite, right? And so that changed the course of my career too. And so I was kind of doing that on the same path as like trying to find these companies to invest in. And so and they're all still around, actually. And well, one sold, which was really nice, which was Anchor. Spotify bought them, so that was really dope. So shout out to them. How early did you get into Anchor? Pretty early. Not like early enough to like retire in any way, shape or form. Like it was just, you know, enough to be able to like help my kid out for real. But that's all I care about. Like I just, you know, if he's good, I'm good. And that's what fucking matters. So like, you know, everything else is kind of like, doesn't matter if he's eating, then I'm probably eating food too. Right. Like, so I have to feed him the food. So like, you know, if he has a roof over his head, well then I probably have a roof over my head too. Right. So I just put everything through his little optics and it kind of works out. Right. It's worked out for me. I'm in a company Wink, which is a really great like wine curation subscription service. They're really, really dope. I drink way too much of it. But it's great wine. I really love it. I'm in a company called Backdrop, which is kind of like a really super dope DTC paint company. They crush it. They're like in Urban Outfitters and all sorts of other things. And they're awesome. The first company I ever invested in actually is a... uh, They've rebranded a few times, but they taught me a lot. Like They think I taught them a lot and helped them a lot, but I think it's completely a two-way street. I don't even remember the original name of the company, but it's called Dot Dot Dash. And they produce like amazing VR tech, immersive AR experiences for brands. And they actually were played a really big part the other week in that um, Pharrell dog that released, that brought the shoes down to Miami to his house. Like if you saw that on any of the thing, it was like a robot dog that gifted Pharrell and Pusha T like they played like a huge part in, in how all that went down and like the programming and all of that. And so you know, this is a guy that, you know, when I invested in him, that was not his idea. This is amazing gentleman, Kyle. And now they're doing shit like that. Or like he, one day he was like, come to complex con, we're producing something. And I walked in, I'm like, well, what is it that you did? And he's like, look up. And it was like this thing that was like bigger than anything I've ever seen. And I was like, you're the kid that emailed me. Like when you graduated college with like a note and I'm, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, pretty dope dude. So like stuff like that has been really cool. And then I'm able to say, well, Hey, I could open this door for you. Can you blah, blah, blah. And, and, and try to use my relationships. And if it's not relationships, then perhaps it's my expertise on brand. If it's not that perhaps it's my expertise on certain product related things. Like everything I've ever invested in, like if I can't find a way to like add some sort of value, I, I'm not rich. Right. So like, you know, it looked good on the gram, but it's not. <laughs> so it's just like, I have to offer value in multiple ways or at least try my hardest to. 
anybody could probably get the check that I'm writing them. If you can't get the check I'm writing you, you probably shouldn't be getting any money because like, I'm not giving you big checks. I don't have that ability, but what I have the ability to do is my check and my brain and my heart and my relationships and my address book and, and all that other stuff. Right. And so if you get that, I try to find a way to give you value in that regard. But what I found out, and it was such an awesome thing to learn was that it's a two-way street in a lot of these things. Like I'm learning so much about companies and industries that before I just had a passing interest in, and now I have a vested interest in, right? And then the real win happened, and this has happened with almost every company I've ever invested in. And I say this, and I'm, I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast, so this is awesome to say this on yours. I think I've said it maybe in an interview before, but like, if you're a DJ, if you're a chef, if you have an artist, like a visual artist, and you have some sort of buzz around you, if you're any sort of bookable talent that's not cringy and it's dope and people will fuck with you and they have fucked with you, angel investing is a huge, huge win for you because here's what's going to happen. If you give somebody... 10, 15, $20,000, right? This is like, like the lowest of the lowest of like angel levels, right? You are putting yourself in a fraternity and sorority of dope people who all are going to think you're the coolest dude on that cap table because of what you do. Now, I'm not in any way, shape or form the coolest dude on any of these cap tables. I'm like the, how the fuck did I get on this guy? But to a lot of people like, okay, it's like, you know, so-and-so he's great. He's another venture guy. Awesome. Oh, this guy's a doctor. And he knew that he's the brothers of the founder. This guy is a, you know, everybody has like, they're, they're really buttoned up the things they do, or they're like a CTO and all, it's great. They're all great jobs. I wish I had them all to be honest with you, especially this last year. But I'm the one that stands out and I'm the one that people could actually hire. Like, you know, if there's a doctor on the cap table and you get cancer, you're probably not thinking like, Oh, I got to call the doctor that's on the cap table. He's good. Like, Cause he's, you know, <laughs> no, like I doubt, I mean, maybe you do, but like, I don't think that's your first thought. But if you just discover me through that and you have disposable income and you're going to have a party for your company or something like that, you're probably going to at least consider me for it because we're at least, if nothing else, investment cousins now. And so it's kind of cool because like I probably made my, it's, it's all house money at this point with these things. Cause I've probably through those people, but through the webs of their relationships made the money back. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight it's, we're talking two, three, five years, but like, it's kind of awesome to think that by being helpful and trying to help somebody, you actually get it back. And it's a two way street. It's a great lesson for life of how life can be. If you go in with like good intent. Yeah, it's a really dope journey. I mean, I see how valuable it's been in terms of the connections both you've been able to make and even the two of us. Like, I know that we're both advisors in local or with what Joe Spearman's doing. Joe is a legendary entrepreneur. Like, he was like the first guy in Austin, really. He really helped set the tone for what that whole scene was there. You know, he doesn't get enough credit for what he did for that city for sure. And even just with so much of the advocacy as well, like right around COVID and when South by Southwest got canceled, he was always at the forefront. He's always putting his voice out there. It's dope to see. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome, dude. So in terms of the investments that you're making, what does your deal flow generally look like? Because I'm sure that you are well-connected. You probably have a lot of them coming through. And when people know that you're an investor, you get hit up quite a bit. How do you determine what ends up making one of the investment checks or what ends up, you know, you end up needing to tell someone that, sorry, but I'm not going to be able to do it. Everything's kind of different. I think if I probably went through like the portfolio, you would see different reasons for everything. But some of the things I look for non-mutually exclusive are, do I vibe with you as a person? Can we communicate well? Would we potentially 
have a drink and sit down at the end of the day and talk about life and stuff like that? Like, can we communicate? I think that's important. And do I think it's a deal breaker? No, but like, do I think it's really important? Yeah, it could be a deal breaker depending on what the other things are. But it's like, yeah, can I get down with you as a person? I think that's really important. I think that's important in in a partnership of any way, whether it's a romantic partnership, whether it's a team trying to win the NBA finals, like you have to be able to rock with that person on some level. And I've had a couple meetings where I felt a little iffy leaving the meeting and I just, I backed out and my gut was right. And so like, I've just learned to trust myself. And and I've gotten, you know, I've gotten screwed a couple of times on this too. There was a couple of times where, Something fell off and I was wrong, you know, but I've been right more than I've been wrong on that. And so I'll I'll happily, you know, eat that. But I wish I was right all the time, but I'm not. So there is that. And then there's also like the idea, like, does the idea actually make sense to me? And when I say does it make sense to me, it's not does it make sense to me in a way that I completely understand it because I don't have to understand everything. There's a million more things I understand than things that I don't understand, right? But can I at least rationalize the logic and flow with it? It doesn't even necessarily have to be, will I use it? Because I'm also have to keep in mind sometimes that I'm like a 42-year-old dad. You know, like again, like my life is probably quote unquote cooler than most 42-year-old dads. If I didn't have to leave my couch and I could watch Seinfeld all day and just like eat sesame sticks, like that's what I would be doing. So like I'm not trying to act like I completely am rocking out with what like a 19-year-old kid is doing right now. I have to understand the logic and the flow of it, but I don't have to necessarily be your case study and your user base, right? But the reason I say that also. And I think it's very important. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they're starting these companies or when they're investing in these companies is that nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, the product that you're investing in is not going to be the product that comes to market. And if you're fortunate, maybe fortunate is not even the right word, that that's what comes to market, it's going to end up pivoting six months later or a year later anyways. And what you're going to ultimately net out on wins or loses statistically is not going to be the thing that was in the pitch deck that you read that day. And so for me, it's just like, if the idea isn't great, okay, but is the logic there? And that's also where it goes to like the conversation with the founders for me. It's just like, how good are you at resiliency? How good are you at change? Tell me some shit that was fucked up and how did you fix it? Because this shit's going to get really fucked up. If it doesn't, it's almost like something's wrong, right? Like if it isn't, you're probably juicing the, the documents, right? Like it's going to get messed up, right? And I think about that in terms of like my DJ sets. Like I'll play the wrong song. It's just, but you won't know I played the wrong song because I course correct so quickly that you just think I did that on purpose, right? And it, I didn't do it on purpose. I might've dropped my drink or I might've looked at my phone because somebody was texting me or talking to somebody in the booth or you know hit the wrong button on the computer, shift left instead of shift right. Like all sorts of shit happens when you're DJing and you don't realize. My thing is like, can I fix it? Can I fix it without you knowing? And can I actually use that error and make my shit even better. Sometimes the best things that have happened in my DJ sets have been like, I played the wrong song accidentally and it opened up some little neural path in my brain. I was like, yo, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? Oh shit. I can go this whole direction and never would have went that direction. And it changed the whole context of the party or whatever. And so that to me is founder thinking. Right. And so that's what I try to like impress upon people. And that like, that's very important. You know, you're going to go A to Z, but you're definitely not going to go the way I try to teach my kid the letters, you're going to go like some wildly dyslexic, crazy, like, you know, but you're going to get there. And so that's very important too. So like, yeah, if those categories and qualities are, are met, then I'm considering it. The resiliency piece is so big because from what I'm hearing from you, what I've heard from other angel investors too, especially with the size of checks that you're giving out, 
the product is going to change so much, but it's like, do I trust this person to be able to adapt, figure it out? Because like you said, shit will hit the fan. All of that is inevitable. It's going to pivot. I can't convey to you how many times people are like, we just really need this one. Like you should never be reliant on a check that small for your business to succeed. If you're relying on a check that small, I mean, when I was like 10 years old. That was like a lot of, I still a lot of money, but like, like in a business perspective, if your business is relying on a 10 to $20,000 check to make it or break it, that's a very, very scary business dilemma. And that's not a business dilemma that I personally want to put my mind, body and soul into. Cause that's like, you know, you could, you already know what's going to happen in, in that situation, you know? Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, for you specifically as an investor, still doing DJing, still doing several other things, what does your mix look like? Because as we talked about, you're a multi-hyphenate, you're doing several different things, but you know, you're in charge of you, like it's Mick Inc. You're trying to manage it all. What does your ideal mix look like in terms of how you spend your time? Well, now it's obviously a lot less DJing because like DJing is kind of on pause right now, unless you live in Miami or Atlanta where nobody gives a fuck. So I was thinking about maybe I should move down there because it's like, there's more parties than, uh, it's insane. I'm, I get, I'm getting, I rarely have FOMO, but I'm like just seeing too many people like having so much quote unquote irresponsible fun, but I'll stick with my responsible reinvention up here in Brooklyn. But, but, uh, I'm excited for the world to come back in that regard. But, you know, I would say for me, my ideal mix is, uh, you know, in a perfect world, like a one third of those things all across the board, like an equal, equal mix, right? Like DJing for me is my passion. It's my love. It's what gave me my career. I don't ever want to go away. I want to be able to do it how I want to do it when I want to do it. Hopefully one day that will happen, but I don't want it to go away unless I personally choose for it to go away. So like, I want that to obviously remain a significant part of what it is I do, because also that's the thing that puts me on the front lines. And that's the thing that keeps me current. And that's the thing that gets me in front of people. And that's the thing I offer that's of most interest and value to people in a lot of ways when I go to do the other things I want to do. And then I go have a dinner party or somebody and then I'm like, but I'm doing this party later. You should come. Like, I'm definitely more interesting than anybody else at that dinner meeting because we could have the best dinner and talk about all the stuff that you and I would be talking about right now. But then afterwards we can all go have like a great time. And not only are we going to have a great time, but I'm going to be DJing, making sure you're good. Like it's just a different level of hospitality that you can offer clients, business relationships, friends, potential deals. So that's a very important mix of what it is I do now, which is also why like you see a lot of DJs doing their virtual stuff now too. You want to make sure you stay connected to the root of what it is that you do, whether there's money coming in or not. You don't want to lose that because that's my DNA of creativity. The investing thing is obviously going to be a really big part of what I do for the rest of my life as well. It's something that I've really, really gravitated towards and really created great relationships and networks from. And it's just something that I significantly love. I love being able to help people. I love being able to learn. And I love, you know, being able to just be a part of a journey from beginning to end because my journey is probably somewhere in the middle. As much as I'd like to consider myself a young dude, I'm not. And so it's just like, I like to see the journey at the beginning and see how that goes. It's really inspiring to me to see that. And so I love that. So that part is always going to be there. 
like as an aside and from afar with the companies that I had invested in before, but I'm really taking like more of a advisory consultancy thing, kind of a lot more serious this year too, because I had so much more time on my hands with COVID and, and the world being shutting down to the point that I'm actually launching and I'm going to get it up by the time we put this podcast out in the beginning of March, but I'm actually going to launch a advisory and consultancy company called the Xavier Company. My son's name is Miles. His middle name is Xavier. Two superhero names, Miles Morales, Professor X, Xavier, like I had to give him two. If like when shit is the fan and you're having a bad day, just know that you're like the dopest new Spider-Man and you're like the smartest guy in the Marvel universe. Like you have those like bit superhero DNA. I, I did that for him so he can have that level of uh, proudness in himself. But yeah, his middle name's Xavier. So yeah, I'm gonna launch this company called the Xavier Company, and uh, I get emails almost daily, like can you, to pick my brains and the, all of those things. And I'm just like, man, it's time to really legitimize this, whether it's for brands or maybe companies that I'm not going to invest in, but maybe there's a way I could still help them. So we're going to be doing a lot of stuff like that. And I have like, I can't listen now, but we have like three or four companies signed up now already for that, for like the advisory consultancy stuff, which is really exciting. And then on top of that, there's going to be a separate component to that too, where I want to be able to help entrepreneurs and I want to be able to help creatives with their personal brand. A lot of people have asked me those questions significantly over the years. Like, you know, like the stuff we've been talking about, you and I, like, how did you go from this to this? What do you think about this? What do you think I should change? And I don't have anywhere close to all the answers, but I do have a few answers, right? And so what I want to do is find a way to like give people access to that knowledge and give people access to that thought process that goes in my brain and, you know, find a way to monetize it as well on my end, because that is a skill and that is a talent that I have that I've come to realize as time has went on, that's equally as valuable, if not more valuable than my DJing skill, because truthfully, that's the reason I have my DJ career was because of my ability to think and because of my ability to brand and because of my ability to market. Like that could have been the best. De- Where I grew up, man, the DJs were so much better than me. I was a good DJ, but there were so many DJs that were so much better than me. To this day, there's so many DJs that are so much better than me, but they can't get out of that thing. And it's just like the kid that's a great coder, but he could send a, a cat to the moon as a hologram, but like nobody's going to know. Like, so you have to have that X factor. You have to have that other stuff going on. And so I'm good at that other stuff somehow. Not great at it, but I'm good enough that it worked for me. And I think there's a lot of value I can give to people who are trying to work on their personal brand and and entrepreneurs who are trying to have a better personal brand than that. So it's going to be kind of like a two-faced thing. It's going to be advising and consulting for startups. And it's going to be advising and consulting for people who just want to understand how they can personally level up their personal brand. And I'm super geeked about it. And it's my most exciting thing I'm working on for 2021 outside of homeschooling my kids kindergarten every day, which is actually rather fun. But uh, it's more fun than I thought it would be. But it, and it takes up more time than I thought it would be. But I think like when I look at what I can really offer the world, the idea of being able to give people basically everything that's worked in my brain and projected out there in a different way is fun. And the reason I'm doing it under a separate company is because the Mick thing is its own brand in and of itself. And so like the Mick thing, we have the DJ stuff and we have the podcast uh, via Maxim, which is doing really well. And, you know, I do a bunch of other like social media stuff for brands. I wanted to kind of keep like the Mick thing more public facing. And I wanted the, the Xavier Co stuff to be kind of like my behind the scenes, like the, the black ops of what it is that I'm doing behind the scenes. 
And I kind of like it too, because it's like, if you think from X-Men, like professor X had like the house with all the gifted and talented people. And like, that's what I want to do. I just want to be able to like be the professor. I'm already like a bald white guy. So like, it's not a big fucking stretch, bro. <laughs> and so I want to be, I want to be able to use those abilities. I never thought about that to that point until right now. I should, I'm going to use this over and over again. Just remember that we said it here. Like, I think that's what I want to be able to do with that. And it plays so great into everything else that I'm doing. And my other secret for people is that, I try to make everything I do somehow connect with everything else I'm doing. I'm sure you've heard me cross-reference these things a million times as we've done this talk. Like, I don't want to fly an airplane and be a heart surgeon and then be a chef. Those fucking things don't make sense to me. I'm sure there's somebody that can do all three of those things really well, but, like, they don't connect. So, like, you know, you have to have your brain really segmented to, like, do that stuff. I want all my stuff to connect. I'm more than happy, and I need to have different things going on to fulfill all all my levels of intellect and creativity and all of that. But, like, they have to make sense. And so, like, I want to be the guy that DJs the biggest venture capital party, but then, like, you know, talk about something like that, but then go do the party. And then afterwards, we all go somewhere else. And it's just, like, I love the bridging of the cultures and the bridging of the industries and the bridging of the genres. Again, it goes back to the mindset of a DJ, right? I need to turn this into a book, like the mindset of a DJ, because I think it's a really fascinating concept of that. Like, by DNA level, like, thinking, my job is to take stuff that's not supposed to go together and make it go together. And my job is to not only make it go together, but make it better than it sounded going in. So like, you know, I always take it as a challenge when somebody's like, yeah, but you can't play that song at this party. I'm like, well, I bet I can. And sometimes I don't, but like, maybe I can, maybe I got to mix it with something else. Maybe I got to like, just take the acapella out and put it over a different beat, whatever it is I have to do. Like I will find a way. I take that as a personal challenge, you know, as a DJ, like the, when you would walk into a party and the opener would play all the big records, right before you got on. That's how openers used to try to like get their reps in. They would try to like, so they see the main guy coming in, especially when I was, if you're traveling, like the local guy in insert Midwest city here, he's like, Oh, that guy was in the Midwest. He moved to New York. He's coming back. He thinks he's hot shit. Well, watch what happens. This is like 2010. I'm going to play all the little Wayne Drake records right before he goes on. And I used to walk in and get pissed. I used to walk in and get crushed. Like, Oh man, what the fuck am I going to do? And then now I love that. Oh yeah. That's what you're going to do. Cool. Well, I'm going to watch what I'm going to do. I've actually told somebody like, well, sit right there. Like, I'm going to play the same 10 records you just played, and I'm going to play them in a completely different order, and I'm going to play them a completely different length, and I'm going to play them completely different, and I'm going to play a different remix of it, but I'm going to do it completely different than you, and I'm going to show you exactly how you could have done that 10 times better. So thank you for being a dick. Now sit back and learn. Let me show you how we could do that better by being more creative and by being more impactful and being more mindful of what you do. And I think that that is really the secret to anybody, whether you're a founder, like there's only so many ideas. It's just taking the ideas and putting them out there different. If you're a creative, the same thing, man. And I just strongly believe that everything I've ever done from 1996 until today has all prepared me for what I want to do now. That makes a lot of sense. And especially the part you talked about in the beginning when all of the things you're doing are connected, right? Yeah. It's not like you're a pilot, a surgeon and a chef trying to mix them all up. There's a synergy between everything you're doing, right? If you are DJing a set at Andreessen Horowitz event, which I know you've done, that then is a place to meet connections and build relationships with people. Then that could either be something that happens for that night where you're building the connection or hanging out, or it could lead to someone being like, Hey, Mick, we're about to invest in this thing. It's a little early for us, but do you want in? They're taking angel checks. Like that's how so much of this ends up connecting. 
And that also ties into like how you were describing it earlier, where yes, you know that you have your ideal mix where it's a third of your ideal time once the world opens back up and you can DJ, but it's not just DJing anywhere, right? It goes back to that whole transactional aspect. Some gigs that you have may be much more disrelated to everything else you're doing, but other things could open those up. And that's how you can have your own personal flywheel of your individual businesses really working in sync. And that's the stuff that really sets you up. So it's great to hear. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for noticing that. That's really where I'm at with this, man. I just like, I like it all to make sense. And, you know, hopefully we help a bunch of people along the way, whether that's helping people have the best night of their lives or helping people to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. Like I want to be that guy. That's how I want my kids to like, look at me at the end of the day. Like not as this guy who was like this DJ guy or like this guy that did this. Like I want him to know that like all of these things work to somehow whenever people walked into something that I was involved with, they walked out of it better. And is that going to happen every time? No. But again, let's go with that B plus average thing. All right. Like, can we hit that like 85% of the time? It's lofty, but like, I know I'm going to heaven if I can hit that 85, right? Like I could do that. I feel good about that. And so that's really where I'm at. Hey man, this is a pleasure. I'm sure we could continue, but no, I'm glad that we could chop it up, talk. And yeah, you dropped a bunch of gems here. Can I plug one more thing before we go? Sorry. Just because I just want to say, because I really appreciate what you do. And I know your audience gives just so zoomed in on like probably a lot of stuff we talk about. I want to just plug the podcast that I'm doing also called The Mix Show. It's available everywhere that you can hear this amazing podcast. You could probably hear my podcast too. So just search for it, The Mix Show. I'm doing it in conjunction with Max and Mag. And we we talked a lot today, you and I, about multi-hyphenate. So that's the same thing we kind of focus on, on that show on a different level. I, the only DJs we've had on have been like D-Nice, of course is just like his his rise over the last couple of years has been astronomical but we've had everybody from like nfl stars to singers to actors to ceos to authors to you know you name it you know we've had so many great people but i truly believe like everything you asked me here the secret to life is having all these multi-hyphenated things going on at the same time and so i try to explore other people's versions of that and so that's what we do on our show so i would love if everybody who checks this out could check that out too it would really mean a lot to me I will second that. You do a really great job on that. And you interview a lot of dope multi-hyphenates themselves. So it's very reinforcing that way. Yeah, man. I think it's the key to life, man. So I just want to do my part to like, you know, spread that along. Agreed, man. Mick, man, it's been a pleasure. And when the world opens back up, you and I will have to link up in person. I can't wait, man. I have, I have a couple favorite wine spots in San Fran that I haven't been to in a year. So do you drink wine? Are you a wine guy? I stopped drinking a few years ago, but my wife loves wine. So... Okay, well, she will get some wine. We will get you the best sparkling water and <laughs> charcuterie boards and shit. It's going to be amazing. So we'll do that. Definitely, man. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.